Hello, everyone, and welcome to Speaking of the Arts. My guest today is Michael Fox. Michael and I go way back, and I've wanted to have him on the show for a long time, so I'm so glad we finally found the time to get together and chat. Michael Fox is the founder and owner of the booking agency Fox Performances, LLC. He previously worked as the Midwest agent at International Music Network. And as a side note, you can actually check out episode 12 of Speaking of the Arts, in which we featured the founder of International Music Network, Scott Southerd. In Michael's tenure there, he booked national tours for Buena Vista Social Club, Wayne Shorter, Terrence Blanchard, Ladysmith Black Mombazo, Diane Reeves, and many, many others. In addition to booking artist tours, Michael Fox also works as a consultant for San Antonio Parks Foundation to help curate Jazz is Alive, that's jazz space S apostrophe alive, an annual two-day jazz event in Travis Park. Fox has also served on panels at the Arts Midwest and APAP conferences, as well as a handful of colleges, speaking about the cultivation of global music audiences, activism in art, and artist representation. Fox holds a master's degree and artist diploma in double bass from the College Conservatory of Music at the University of Cincinnati. Our conversation covers a variety of topics, including Michael's own unique approach toward running his booking agency and what he is looking for in terms of prospective clients. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I really hope you enjoy our conversation. Michael Fox, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me, buddy. Yeah, it's really good to connect with you. There's a lot of questions I'd love to ask you and um, dive into everything that you're doing with your own agency. Uh, Maybe just for a little bit of context, I'll just put out there, you and I have known each other for a long time, like a long Uh time. I, I would say over 10 years at this point, maybe? Yeah, we're we're coming up on that, I think. Somewhere in that ballpark, a long time. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've always been, I've always thought you're one of the, you know, really good, good in, in like all the senses of the word, um, agents in our, <laughs> in our field. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's, you're, 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 you're successful for your artists, but, but you're also just genuinely like a good person, a good person to know, to work with. Um, Thank you. And, yeah, and I really mean that. And, and so, you know, uh, over the years, obviously, you know, any opportunity you and I, you and I have had to kind of work together or just talk about music and the whole, you know, music business life and all that has been something I've really appreciated um, yeah. uh, as we've gotten to know each other. So, so yeah, it's just really great to connect with you. And also, I'm still bitter sweet about the fact that we crisscrossed, we were ships passing in the night with your family recently relocating back to the East Coast, my family moving right. from the East Coast. <laughs> to the Midwest, um, we just yeah. miss each other, but that's okay. We'll we'll see each other again in person at some point. Yeah, hopefully. Um, so yeah. yeah, no, and I and and also I think the fact that you guys are in Southeast Michigan, which is not far from where my family is, like I'll probably see. Yeah, you know, not that way. So absolutely, yeah. you're all you guys. You and uh, Jillian are always welcome here. Thank you. And same to you. You should come out to Newport. I mean, oh, don't worry. I'm if I'm to... back in Newport, I will not be at your place. I will be stealing somebody's yacht and <laughs> I will be, you know, living the good life as one should do on the water out there. Yeah. 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 So, but anyway, so man, take me back to the beginning of Fox performances because to go off on your own, as I know, is a bold thing to do in and of itself. And, right. you know, tell me about, kind of starting the agency and then 
uh, I'll let you answer the question yourself, but my impression was you really hit the ground running, um, mm -hmm. getting things off the ground and then boom, a pandemic. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so well, so, about, so like, what that was like. Yeah, so the, actually the, the, the impetus for creation of the agency was partly because of COVID. Um, so, you know, I have, I have, have had for a very long time, really specific ideas of, you know, how, how I like to work or the way that, um, slight variations from, from, from the way that, that, that I was taught to work. And I think that, um, you know, there's a certain boldness to it, regardless of when you deviate from, you know, your your training. Which for me, you know, I was with Mark Balin first, and then I was, and then I worked for for IMN for a long time, and I learned really important lessons from those both of those agencies. But um, for me, there there was this desire to really follow my ears. Um, which I think that you can uh, you can kind of attest to, and I because I think there's a big difference between um, folks like us that started as musicians or studied music and transitioned to this to this side of the field versus um, you know folks that come at it from a different angle, and so that that's kind of that's the way that the, the roster has formed. And that's the way that the, the roster continues to take shape is it's, you know, I hear something really compelling and um, that inspires me to connect with that artist and then have a conversation about touring or, or, um, or that person's touring already. And maybe there's a thought that I have about, um, you know, ways that we can, um, get closer to their their ideal which is a big thing that I start with when I have that first conversation is I ask you know where do you want to be it's funny you're saying that because I was just speaking to somebody uh there's and I and I actually was not aware of this until uh, she was talking to me but it, maybe you're familiar with, there's a website called um careersinmusic.com which no, I, not, no. <laughs> I had never heard of it, but my, but the reason I bring it up is because she, she wanted to talk, have a general conversation with me, very general uh, booking conversation for, for students, music students who are interested in music industry, what, what does a booking agent do, all these things, and I naturally led me to talk a little bit about my background, but I said, I, I said pretty much exactly what you just said, which is, um, for me, and I think you would agree with this too, it's very, and you've had this experience. I, I was always very bad at trying to pitch an artist or book an artist that I really didn't care about, which is what you just right. said. And, yeah, yeah. you know, and I, and I brought that up in the, in the conversation with her um, because it's interesting to me because I, because we all know there are actually really good agents who can um, book all types of artists, even though that artist might not be their, their uh, preference, but they might not right. be very passionate about music. And that was right. always something I really struggled with was, uh, I, I, it was just really hard for me to to, <laughs> to sell the the uh, act that, that if, if if I wasn't really into it, you know. Um, yeah. 
So I'm right there with you. I'm not at all surprised to hear you say that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So so you um so yeah so COVID happens and this you kind of have this opportunity I guess to go off and and um, start your agency and I yeah. know that was something that you had been you know thinking about for a while as a lot of agents that larger agencies are always thinking about. So right. what? Yeah. So what um what what were you kind of how did you kind of stay really motivated knowing you were you were doing this at a time when we couldn't really do live music? Like, how did you navigate that? Um, I mean, I think that one of the, again, this goes back to like going to music school. Um, there is this general concept of practice. So, you know, you go into a practice room and you you play an hour of scales and then you go through, um, uh, uh, you know, you go, you, you go through maybe some exercises and then you actually start to go through the material. And that's kind of, once I got the website up and once everything was actually a fully formed thought, um, that's what it became. And I think that also part of, of, of what informs me too is, uh, before I started on this part of the music industry, I was um, I was a telemarketer for Cincinnati Symphony. And so we were given these like half sheets of paper and it would have the person's name and address up here and their phone number. And then on this side were all the concerts that they went to and any of the benefits that they've ever had. And it was your job to call them and get them to subscribe or to get them to give money to the symphony. And, you know, during a four to five hour shift, I would call it 300 people. And so it did become this same kind of practice of like, in your head, you have to be like, okay, I need to make so many points of contact during a day in order to continue that flow of information. So it became, it almost became about that in the beginning because I knew that I wasn't, I wasn't going to book anything new. It was about creating this flow of information and these points of contact is sort of like what I was focusing on. That's so funny. I, uh, you and I are so similar. So I was also a telemarketer in, in college oh. for a summer, except unlike you, who you were at least doing it in a field that we like. I was right, right. working for a company called Stone Research Services, <laughs> okay. and this is in Bloomington, Indiana. Um, okay, and we would get the the uh, marketing agent, the marketing company would get hired by advertisers to collect all this marketing research. So the one good thing about it was that we never worked on a program for more than a week, if that, because that okay. was. Like, you know, because let's say there was 30 or 40 people working there, we would burn through the data, the uh, contact in about a week. Um, but like you just said, you, it sounds like you kind of had like a script or something you had to read from. I, I had a script and we had to do, we had to just call and call and call and get people to fill out these surveys about any experience they had had with a company to right. then give that come. So um, I'm just bringing that up because I, I didn't know we both had that experience. And I, <laughs> I would like to think today, there's, I got some benefit from it. Like, I think I could say learning to speak uh, um, clearly on the phone and enunciate and, you know, 
and quite let's face it like trying to get a complete stranger to stay on the phone <laughs> right 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 right, right. A, there is a skill in that <laughs> yeah yeah uh, no in one of these books behind <laughs> me that you were asking me about uh by blair singer sales dog one of the things that blair talks about a lot is that cold calling is um a skill but it, but the means to an end is not what most salespeople think it is so it's actually exactly what you're talking about. Cold calling isn't to actually secure sales. Cold calling is to build your confidence and teach you how to talk on the phone. Makes sense. I, I, I would agree with that. Well, could you say that? Yeah, yeah. What was the name of the book again? Sales Dogs. And it's sales by Blair. Dogs. Yeah, yeah, Blair Singer. So Blair Singer actually breaks down um, different personality types and he he signed up sort of uh he attaches them to a dog breed so um there is um your classic pit bull which you know that's what everybody thinks is the only type of salesperson which is the person who's really aggressive and will attack anything um but then there's also the golden retriever which is um that salesperson is really focused on service and relationships there's the chihuahua which nobody wants to be a chihuahua by the way <laughs> i i don't think i would but the way that blair classifies this is a person who's really focused on product knowledge um and i think in a lot of ways you and i are that way where we it is really about the knowledge of the work and the the the, the practice itself of, of artist representation um and and then there's the poodle, which is that that person's all about like looking really good, like being really um hot, you know so selling really high level clients, and um, it's all about projecting this image of confidence. Um, and so the the idea behind the book, what you're supposed to get by the end, is you're supposed to identify your breed, but then also adapt the good skills from each other breed. Okay. I'll so, have to check it out. Um, I'm always looking for anything to make me a better salesman for sure. Have you, yeah, I've yeah. been talking about this stuff all day. I mean, along those lines, have you read, uh, it's, it's, it's called the ultimate sales letter. No, no. Uh, let me grab it right here. I, I will, I'll have to send you a copy. Uh, there's a bad glare on my end, but it's called the ultimate sales letter by Dan Kennedy. So Dan Kennedy is like one of the foremost, copywriters like from if you think about like the traditional uh, advertising agencies and they used to write actual copy so he had a background in all of that and then uh i i honestly don't remember if he kind of went out on his own but either way he became known as this guy who could who could uh help companies and individuals really craft incredible sales letters uh, mm -hmm. i've gotten a lot out of it you should definitely read it yeah i mean because of so so much of what we do now is in the written word that sounds really useful absolutely so absolutely yeah all yeah. right so um why don't you i'd love you to just talk about some of the artists on your roster i mean maybe briefly you know you don't have to talk about all of them but um you know just for folks listening so they got a sense of who you're working with and uh now that hopefully we're starting to see more shows happening and more shows being booked um maybe some of the folks listening would even have a chance to check out some of your artists as they're uh, starting the tour more. Yeah, so um, 
something that uh, uh, that we talk about a lot in our house because of um, uh, Jillian's festival, um, but also my own artistic efforts is this is striking. Oh, sorry, this I, don't I don't mean enough. Why don't we just tell people what festival she's running so they know? Oh, okay. So Jillian is my wife, Jillian Friedman Fox, and she is the executive director of the Newport Music Festival, which is a um, a classical music chamber music festival that happens in Newport, Rhode Island. Um, and so one of the things that she and I talk about in terms of the artists that we champion are those that strike a balance or have some sort of vision that it both acknowledges tradition, but also have a really interesting idea of artistic innovation. So those two things kind of dovetail into each other. So each of these artists that I rep have a distinct way of approaching that, but they all have that sort of feel. Um, uh, so I represent um, 17 different artists. One of them is actually a, um, a live uh, film projection artist named Andrew Scott. Um, and I actually met Andrew when I moved to Dallas. Um, he, he's a good friend of Terrence Blanchard, who's another artist that I represent. And um, I didn't completely understand what, Ter what, what Andrew was doing at first. And he invited me to his lab, which he's on faculty at UT Dallas. And I walk into this room and it's like, you know, a visual artist's playground. And so you have these giant sculptures on the wall where he, he builds these things out of like cardboard and, and paper, like 3D printed to 3D printed um, objects that are huge. And he actually teaches his students how to do these three-dimensional projections. Um, so I walk in there and he shows me this whole sequence that looks like just, um, uh, animation to me. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And he's, and he says, well, watch. And so he projects this onto the screen. And what you see is that each part of the signal is attached to a different part of um, the sound that's coming out of the speakers. Oh, wow. And then he starts to move something in within the image. And you realize that he's animating in real time. So in addition to that, to this live animation and that the, he has this programming that, that kind of interacts with the music, he also, and this is, he gets so pissed off when I tell people about this. He also, his secret sauce is that he also will integrate a live camera feed into that. So when we did the project, he was the visual artist um, for Caravan, which is a, um, a live music and dance project that, that um, Rennie Harris uh, produced and directed um, Rennie Harris, the choreographer. Um, and he would, so, so in the middle of this show, while all these projections are happening behind the band and behind the dancers, he's grabbing these images of the dancers in the band and mixing them into the animation. It was super cool. Yeah, so um, 
so Andrew's sort of the outlier in that way. He's a lot of fun. Um, so I, I, you know, a, a good portion of the, the, the roster kind of follows that quote unquote jazz side. So I also represent uh, uh, Tana Alexa, um, uh, Somi, um, Brandon Coleman, um, uh, 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 Ben Williams. Um, there's a there's a cellist that I represent that also is a singer songwriter. This guy Gabriel Royal, um, you may have seen him at um, Newport. He played Newport Festival. I think he played Storyville. Okay. Um, but, but this guy's like a brilliant songwriter and has a beautiful voice uh, and accompanies himself on cello. Uh, and then uh, the other half of the the quote unquote half of the roster kind of lives in this acoustic chamber music kind of world. Um, but what's interesting is that at the moment, I don't really have anything on that side that, especially for like a, a classical music kid, it's just like, you know, a piano trio doing, you know, Brahms and Schumann you know what I mean it's a lot of this a lot of these artists on the the more classical side of the of the agency um have something in their work that's really um non-traditional uh so for example um uh, Maeve Gilchrist is a harp player um, she's also uh, a member of Silk Road Ensemble, um, but she improvises. So, I mean, I know that that for you, you're like, okay, yeah, so did Alice Coltrane. But in the <laughs> world, but in the world of classical music, that's so crazy. I mean, to, for for people to be like, oh, wow. Um, the other side of it too is that this is a completely different instrument than what we know to be like the the. Um, the lever harp. This is yeah. a this is a this is a Celtic harp that like she actually uses. Um, she manipulates with her hands instead of her feet. Um, but I love to that because I used to for years I worked with Edmar Castaneda, who oh yeah, just, yeah. That's one of those artists where you're trying to describe it to someone and you're like, you know what, you just you have to watch a video. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I would love to see what you're talking about because I didn't know before I was working with him like most people I had a conception of what the harp is yeah and, right and he has completely changed that and it sounds to me like your artist is doing the same thing yeah well I think the other thing that you know when when we think about artists that are like music directors you have this mental map of all of the notes and in most cases in the classical music world that person is a pianist um and in jazz, it tends to sort of float between lots of different instruments all the way to, you know, somebody like Art Blakey, who's a drummer. But the interesting thing about her musical map is it's built on this instrument that is, has this, um, what we would think of as being like a very limited range of expression because like the harpsichord or other instruments that are string like this, it doesn't project really far. But the music that she writes, I mean, this is the, this is the crazy thing. She, so 
she her her album Harp Weaver is um, herself, um, acoustic guitarist Kyle Sana, and then a string quartet, the Izuri Quartet, and the sound that she gets from this group and the the writing is is um like a lot of the other artists that I work with has almost like a cinematic quality um uh so uh and in fact her harp work has been featured in a uh, dreamworks film but um but the but the sonic you know bandwidth of what she's doing is so wide um and I think that this is an artist that will as her career develops she'll end up being a music director for like major like symphonic projects we're going to be doing a harp concerto um commission coming into the 22-23 season she's a lot of fun and she's and she's a she's she's a great human being which that you know that always helps Absolutely. um <laughs> yeah yeah you know, i i did, just to interject i it's fun listening to you talk about your artists because uh, I think one thing that is sometimes gets lost in our, our industry, like in our side of the industry, I should say, is, is that yes, there's a lot of agencies, booking agencies, but at the end of the day, um, I really believe like the ones that are successful are the ones that, that really follow the vision. There's, there's, there's this connection between you, the, you know, the, the, the uh, person leading the charge, right? And being able to identify these artists that you're seeing and have mm -hmm. them articulate their vision, yet it also, like, I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, even though I'm, I haven't heard of, you know, the projectionist or this artist that you're describing right now, I'm listening to you describe them and, and it feels like, it just makes so much sense to me that you are working with those artists. And like, I yeah. that, you know what I mean? Like, I mean that as a compliment, like it's, yeah. it's part of your aesthetic and, it, I think um, it's it's worth mentioning too because like it, it you know you really it, obviously you're you're uh, helping them get their voices out there and get more recognition yeah. but you're also creating another you're creating like another space within this world that we live in right yeah yeah it, it didn't exist before you did it and I think you should yeah. you know it's really cool to see in the short amount of time you've been doing this how you know you're how, how many uh, artists you're representing and and I'm just so happy for you, man. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. I I think what's critical about, about your approach and my approach and the ways that they're similar is, um, I remember really early on when I was working for Mark Balin, I was, that's how I have, I know the folks from Turtle Island Quartet. And David Balakrishnan, the founder of that quartet is also like, one of my mentors and he's like my spirit animal in a lot of ways and um one of the things he told me like one of my first years as an agent that I think we were talking about maybe we were talking about music I don't remember the context but I remember him saying this line to me and it's stayed with me ever since people can tell when you're telling the truth and if that's different than saying people can tell when you're lying mm -hmm. it's it's, but when I feel like people, when they tell you, they can tell you're telling the truth, they gravitate to that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's what I did. That's what it is about the way that I represent these artists is 
there's there's such a there's there's such a intentional way of like forming these relationships with these artists and really making it about their music here and now but also you know one of the first questions that i ask these artists and you can ask my artists for verification of this which is like some of it's i stumped but the big question that i ask them is which artist do you see in the present that you'd like to model your career after and i feel like that question in a way gives me a sense of like okay what kinds of activities is this person wanting to do that they're not doing yet and so then what can we be doing in the short term to move them in that direction um one of my favorite answers to that question uh i asked brandon coleman that and and of course like i don't i don't limit it to the music world and of course he didn't and so he's like you know i see what jordan peele is doing and that's mm -hmm. kind of the direction which if you think about it i mean the key and peel show he had this sort of this this sketch comedy show and he built an audience that way and now what jordan peel is doing is so expansive artistically and it's really really serious i mean when you when you watch his films us get out like these are films that like are chilling but also address these like really universal you know social ideas and so it it when i go back to brandon's music after having that conversation with him i understand that now you know i see i hear the depth of the of yes his music's really fun and it's funky and it's it's something that like you know when i heard it for the first time i was i i heard one of the tracks from his album resistance and uh and i tried to show off because at that time i worked for maceo parker and i was like oh what p-funk album is this he's like that this isn't p-funk <laughs> <laughs> but but i but um but you but when you when you know that his intent is to move to to take this music that has a lighter side and in a really serious way integrate these really like deep musical concepts you hear the nuance in what he's doing Sure. No. And well, and yes. also that speaks a lot about Brendan as uh, he, he clearly has a vision for himself, which is not always the case with artists. And, sure. Right. And so that's, that's, there's a whole dynamic there too of uh, maybe it's an artist who has, has, is working on something really amazing or they're putting out mm -hmm. music that's really amazing already. Um, but that's kind of, you get the sense that like, okay, that's, that's all they can do in a way, meaning, mm -hmm. um, what you know like you know where do you go with that new music right yeah. as opposed to the artist who is more established and is putting out music that you would expect he or she to put out you know what i mean yeah and, yeah but I, but just to kind of circle back to what you're saying um that's a great question to ask an artist and also yeah i, I love his answer i was thinking when you were saying uh you, one of your mentors was saying that you can always tell when someone's telling the truth one of my mentors always likes to say all progress starts by telling the truth. Yes. Yep. And, and I think about that a lot because I think you're going to attest to this, but 
there, there is always a disconnect in an artist's mind of, uh, no matter how humble the artist is, there's still a disconnect of, of where, you know, basically scratching their heads, wondering like, where, where are the fans? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Right. Um, specifically, I'm talking about like up and coming artists, newer artists, right? There's this right. kind of disconnect there. And I'm always amazed that they haven't taken the time or if they have a manager, that person hasn't taken the time to literally just sketch out what are like the actual numbers we're looking at in terms of fans. And yeah, yeah. Especially because now there's really no reason not to. It's so easy to use social media to just simply pull the numbers, run the, um, you know, the data. And yet time and time again, I'm not, maybe, I, maybe it's just me, but like, I'm just so amazed that like this hasn't been done. And why, why is the artist or the manager so surprised that uh, there's that disconnect? And it, it's really because they haven't started with the truth. Like, what is the truth? What, where, right. where is the artist currently at? <laughs> where indeed are we? Where are we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I, don't, I don't necessarily want to go off on like a management uh, tangent with you, although we certainly could. <laughs> um, I don't know, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just amazing to me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think, but I think also um, that Zen saying like, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water, after enlightenment, chop could, chop wood, carry water. So you're, so, so it's also understanding that like, even if you have this amazing following, the way that you continue to cultivate that and, and the way that you continue to develop your audience is by doing what you did, which yes. I think. Yes, you, I in mean, some respects, the artist has to work even harder, I would, I would argue. Oh yeah, oh yeah, no, no. I mean, and that's, and that's a, you know, that's a thing. That's a thing where, you know, to, it's one thing to grab someone's attention. It's another thing to hold it. Yeah, and, time and time and, again, yep. Yeah, so, I mean, and that's, and that's what we want as agents is we want artists that, um, that have a loyal following because a that shows the you know that that person understands the mechanics of like relating to other human beings right but i but i think in a broader way just for you know the 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 way that they relate to their audience says a lot about their artistic trajectories you know somebody that can switch gears mid-career you know, the, the old Bob Dylan going electric thing. Um, I think that that pissed a lot of people off when that happened. I'm, I'm, and I'm not saying that's something new for, I'm saying it because that was like one of these sharp, you know, turns that an artist took. And I think that different artists are able to make those kinds of pivots mid-career or within the scope of their career. And it affects their audience in a different way. Yeah, do you... Um... Do you don't do you manage any of your artists or are you, are you just doing booking? Uh so um I'm sort of an acting artistic consultant for a few of them. Um what is that like? <laughs> uh I mean so like the, we I I you know I I have a little bit more input like this whole thing that I'm doing with Turtle Island Quartet now is more of what a manager would do. So I'm executing this um this commission that's an evening of original music written for and by the quartet um but a lot of the 
the uh, the way that the that we talk about the commission, the structure of the commission, all of this was stuff that I came up with. Um, but of course, like the real fabric of the commission is the music, and I'm not writing any of that. So, right. um, uh, but yeah, I mean, so so David and I had this conversation, and we were like, you know, we want to do something that's broad, but also really helps to define to the audience, like the the this brand identity of what the quartet is. And so, you know, we are commissioning uh, Branford Marsalis, uh, Rhiannon Giddens, and um, Jared Tate to write original music for the quartet. And of course, David is a Grammy nominated composer. He's going to contribute 15 minutes of music to the, to the program also. Very cool. Is that something that yeah. will happen the 22-23 season? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so um, yeah, and the idea for us is that like this kind of celebrates the the scope of of music that that quartet plays. Which um, um, Jared is a, a a member of the Chickasha Nation, and one of the concepts behind Turtle Island, the name, is that it's a it's a shared uh, Native American myth that you know, that North America as a continent was actually formed um, by, you know, basically the creator scooping earth from, from the ocean and putting on the back of this great turtle. Wow. And so it's one of these myths that, that, that unites a lot of different First Nations in, in, in North America. And when I, when I told Jared about this, about this project, you know, the fact that I'm, I'm, focusing on uh, these, these composers that represent like these North American genres. He's like, you're literally making a Turtle Island record, which is like this, this, this recording, this, this touring project that, that spans the scope of, of American roots music. That's awesome. Yeah. Really cool. Have you ever, I mean, so you mentioned the, the, relationship for you is more of like an artistic consulting capacity have you ever thought yeah. about formally managing any artists is that something you would ever want to do uh i mean there are certainly artists that um where i'm really either they're self-managed or um i have an interest in their career i i have thought about it um but i think that there is sort of a, a a groove to what we do as agents that I like, like that that moment of like, you know, especially this time of the year where like we're still, um, especially now because all bets are off because of you know we're in the post COVID world. But like one of my favorite things early in my career was like this time when we're almost starting with a blank blank slate with brand new projects mm -hmm. and we're going in we're going into the conferences and we're having these conversations and everybody's super excited and there's all of this potential like i love that and i think as a manager you're looking so far into the future that you don't get that kind of cyclical kind of feeling and you don't get to have that sort of blank slate it's also so continuous 
Well, I would also say too, the challenge that I, because I, I I've also thought about it. And my challenge is that um, I, I don't want to say that one is easier than the other. Um, although what attracts me to the booking side is that it, it is very much more clear cut uh, yeah. for obvious reasons. Whereas the management thing, um, and I struggle with this because of, you know, the, uh, it, it's just, it's not, it's very, sometimes it's not as tangible. And, and I think you can hide behind certain aspects of it as opposed to getting, if you're a manager, you can, as opposed to getting out in front of where, how, what is this artist doing and where, where is his or her career going and how do I navigate yeah. that and how do I push it that way? And, and, and instead you just kind of like hide behind travel details or stuff like that, you know? Right. Um, so it, it is difficult in that respect. It really is. I don't know. I mean, yeah. sometimes I get asked the question, like, how, how, how do you know when you need a, a manager? How do you know when you need an agent? Right? right. And I've started to consistently answer that by saying, unless it's really obvious, okay, that the, that there's so much work coming in that clearly, yeah, you need an agent or a manager, but unless it's really obvious, I think a better investment for a, a new artist is actually to hire somebody or to, if they have to figure it out on their own um, to just get killer marketing chops and like really yeah, understand, yeah. yeah, understand how to craft incredible videos, understand how to craft, um, how to cater to different social media platforms. The whole notion that the first time anybody sees, the first time anybody experiences your art as an artist is not going to be live. It will right. not be live. It will be digitally. And right, I always right. make the analogy, like, you would never book an Airbnb property whose photos were atrocious. Right. You just you would never yeah. do that. And in, and in a lot of ways, it is the same idea with an artist who's just starting out. You have to invest as best as you can in the best quality materials and output of your um, art. Because the first experience we have, we as, as, a, as listeners have with it is going to be digitally, or maybe it's a video, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. What does it say about yeah, yeah. you if you haven't created something incredible, um, taking the time to really put that uh, quality through? What does that say about you as an artist and what are you gonna be like on stage? It's pretty black and white. So I'm, I, I'm just making the point that, um, that I think at this stage, yeah, that's a better investment for like artists that are just starting out is like either learn it yourself or, or hire somebody to really get killer marketing happening for you. Yeah, you know, I think I I think that there's never there's never a downside to learning. Like one of the things that I stumbled into when I started the agency is um, I'm like a huge huge fan of Canva. Canva? Oh yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. That. yeah. That's yeah. how I was able I mean, to get the logo up here. <laughs> right. No. So I I mean. I live on that platform on my weekends because that's where, I mean, that's where I've designed my entire website, all of the materials that go up on my social media, that's all. And, you know, before the launching of that uh, user-friendly platform, I would have had to teach myself how to use, um, you know, Photoshop, which is hard. Yeah. Um, and so, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the things that I think artists, I mean, right now should know is they should know how to take their own photos and manipulate them into really beautiful marketing materials and to write copy and to make things that are really compelling because 
that also helps to communicate your vision internally. Yeah. You know? For sure, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, Michael, I want to ask you just a few more quick questions here. We've, uh, we've sure. covered a lot. So where, um, where, what ultimately is your vision for your agency? What, you know, best case scenario, we don't really have to cancel too many shows uh, in the yeah, yeah, yeah. months, you know, and let's just assume optimism and we can get back to things happening. Uh, where, where would you like to see things in the next two or three years? Yeah, so, I mean, that question that I asked my artists, I recently asked myself you know, yeah. whose career do I want to model mine after? And my, and my career model is, um, is the chef, uh, Thomas, Thomas Keller. And he's the only chef, I think in the United States that has two, two restaurants that are three Michelin stars. Um, but he's also somebody that understands the value of, um, mentorship and the my favorite story is um i think it's on it's one of the early seasons of chef table um there's a there's a there's a chef that's now like a three michelin star chef in chicago is that penelope yeah that's penny sorry um so listeners michael's dog (laughs) yeah she's 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 cute but she's a pain in the butt so um uh so so this guy comes up with this sous chef of his comes up with this dish that's um where he he i feel like it's like it's melon but then he has this sort of foie gras foam and anyway it's like this amazing dish and they make it in the kitchen and he's a they're about to put it on the menu and thomas keller stops him he's like are you sure you want to do this? And he said, well, I don't understand. What, why wouldn't we? This is delicious. He's like, well, someday you're going to go out and you're going to have your own menu. Like, why wouldn't you save this for your own menu? So yeah. understanding that and not putting people in that box of saying like, like this person's going to live and die here and, and looking out beyond and looking at the horizon and saying like, Really, what I want is I want to mentor people that go out and make the industry better. And and I and I and I mean that in the most earnest way. I mean, I think that I understand that like I can't create an army of like mini me's, and that's not really what I'm trying to do. But I think finding people that are going to look within and really develop their skills and their in, from their interests and what they're passionate about what they care about um that's going to be a gigantic priority for me moving forward well and that's also uh on you as the leader the entrepreneur right you um, are putting out like a bat signal into the world of what your right. agency is the brand right. the aesthetic and the attraction would will come to that from that right, right. So um, I hear you because I absolutely tried. That's a goal of mine too, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, well, this has been a really good conversation. Is there anything yeah. we should talk about that we haven't? Anything? No, I mean, I, can, uh, this is, how can this people really fun. find you and connect with you for people who want to? Oh, right. So um, uh, my website is foxperformances.com. Um, 
uh, all my information is there. But then also, um, I do take a lot of time and energy to curate my Instagram and Facebook feeds, which are part of my, like, my whole communication device for um, other artists and presenters. So if you look at that feed, that's, that's intentionally crafted for people in the industry. Awesome. And, and is it, yeah. it, they can just search for Fox performances on Facebook and Instagram. And that's right. Yep. Yep. Great. Thanks, well, Michael. Mike. It's really good to see you and connect with you. You too. You yeah. too, buddy. Um, um, this is great. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I hope I can see you soon in person. I will, I'm, I'm not going to go to any of the hybrid regional things in the fall, but uh, okay. I'm definitely planning on going to New York in January, assuming things um, are okay and, get, and continue to get better. Yeah, same, same. I, I'm going to go to these regional things just because, you know, I, I put a lot of energy into trying to help Arts Midwest kind of push the virtual side into something that's a little bit more um that's more functional than last year which you know I, they've gotten a lot of guff from the industry on on their platform so um but i but i agree like apap is going to be the ultimate sort of family reunion and it'll be really fun so i'm looking forward to seeing you there because you know yeah it's going to be a celebration if yeah. it happens hopefully it happens cool well thanks again for your time yeah, buddy, good to see you. Yeah, you too.